0: Hope Community Church. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for joining us this Sunday as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we're going to go to a topic that um, is one of the most misunderstood uh, but it's also probably one of the most well-known. It's about an eye for an eye, or a Tooth for a Tooth. Basically, it's about revenge and vengeance. Now, we as human beings, we love a good vengeance story, right? Uh, where the protagonist was able to get justice and exact revenge. Movies like Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, right? Or A Man on Fire. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the largest, um, highest grossing movies of all time. Did you know? Four out of the 10 highest grossing movies of all times is about Avengers. That's right. About vengeance and getting revenge and doing and getting back at Thanos or Loki. Uh, Avengers Endgame Infinity War last year, it recorded or it produced $2,790,200,000 worldwide. Number five is Avengers Infinity War with another two billion. Another is Marvel's Avengers 2012. And number nine is Avengers Age of Ultron with one billion, uh, 405 million. So we love a good revenge story. And we're going to look through Jesus' words in Matthew chapter five, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. you now this fifth statement of you have heard it said but i say is one of the most misunderstood but one of the most well-known phrases in the whole bible turning the other cheek has become a proverbial saying that some have to, some have used to promote absolute pacifism like we can't go to war at all you can't get into a fight at all um, others have used it to stereotype Christians as weaklings and wimps. And yet others have used this verse of turning the other cheek to excuse their own cowardice and to be passive. And oh, I'm just going to turn the other cheek and let others bully and push me around because Jesus said turn the other cheek. But is this what Jesus really meant? Just because it's well known doesn't mean it's really well understood. For example, here in Hawaii, Um, the bumper sticker, Eddie would go, right? It refers to Eddie Aikau. And most people would know it like, you know, Eddie Aikau, he was a lifeguard at Waimea, the first lifeguard. He would go to the biggest waves when other surfers really wouldn't go. But there's a deeper meaning to that because Eddie Aikau, uh, during the Hokulea, when there was a hole in and there was a leak in, in the raft that they had, Well, he left others there, and he went to go paddle into the channels of of Molokai so that he was able, trying to find safety. That Eddie Aikau, he would go, he was able to save 500 lives during his career as a lifeguard. And it's not just about, you know, go sending it and, and sending it and going to the biggest waves, but it's actually about giving of your life sacrificially to serve others. Now, Jesus here talks about turning the other cheek, about being non-retaliatory, non, um, don't retaliate, don't take vengeance on your own. And here's the main point. Would you write this down in your notes? Jesus condemns the way that the law of retaliation has been abused to promote personal revenge let me repeat that jesus condemns the way that the law of retaliation has been used or abused to promote personal revenge in the ancient near east there is uh, the code of hammurabi and in deuteronomy jesus when he uh, god when he gives the law he says that there is a, a way to of retaliation in deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 20 to 21 the rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again will such evil thing be done among you show no pity life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot and the intent of that was to provide justice for people and is to prevent People from doing evil in your, from doing evil in society, but people have used that during Jesus' time, and they finagle and they bend the law so that they could exact revenge. Personal vengeance is not taught in the Bible. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, both in the Old Testament and in Romans. Paul says that as well. Remember that the five out of six sayings. This is not just one isolated incident, but these are collection, uh, overall thought. And here's, remember the first one, regarding anger. Jesus says, "You've heard it say, don't murder, meaning you don't busy yourself with religious activity and harbor anger. Reconcile, make make things right, so that anger does not fester in your own heart." Regarding lust, don't commit adultery. That it's not an outward act, but it's the condition of your heart and of my heart. Do radical work to eradicate sin from your life. When Jesus talks about divorce, whenever you want a divorce, you give a certificate of divorce. What did Jesus say? Don't use the law to have a low view of marriage, but to have a high esteem of marriage. Don't finagle the law to jump ship from your commitment and to renege on your marriage vows before God and before your friends and your family. Two weeks ago, we talked about, Jesus said, you've heard it say, don't swear falsely that we don't use oaths, right? To, or swear to God to disguise and deceive people that we must let our words match our intention. And so how do we apply this in our lives that we don't use the law an eye and eye for tooth of tooth so that we could get revenge on people? Number one, would you write down pursue servanthood instead of retaliation? Pursue, chase after, run after servanthood and serving people instead of retaliating. Let's look at verse thirty eight. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You see, during that time, the Jews that were under Roman rule, that the common person was at the mercy of the Roman, and they had no escape on the street, in the court, in the presence of the military occupying forces, in an everyday world of financial need. The Romans had complete um, control and manipulation. Jewish leaders had little or no power to execute justice, to protect their own people. But Jesus says, man, I know you want to strike back. I know you want to hurt. I know that um, you want to have justice and be a person of retaliation and violently resist injustice in this world. But Jesus says what? Do not resist the one who is evil. With this oppressive atmosphere, Jesus points to the motivation of the individual disciple. He tells them, but I tell you, do not resist the evil person. The disciples' first responsibility is to reverse the dynamic of the situation from taking to actually giving. That the evil person wants to take, but instead of doing that, Jesus says, serve and give. The ultimate goal for a disciple of Christ follower like you and me is to seek an opportunity for our so-called enemies to be converted into the truth of God's kingdom. To turn the other cheek means that Jesus' disciples are so secure in themselves that they do not need to retaliate with more evil that's being done to them. By turning the other cheek, we place ourselves in a greater position of indignity and vulnerability, but this provides an opportunity to serve the offender. Turning the other cheek, it's not not necessarily physical like somebody would punch you, but it's um, a sense of honor and dignity for you to be slapped, right? And Jesus says, hey, if people malign you and um, put you down and dishonor you, it's okay. Take it. Who knows by your kindness you could lead them to the kingdom of God. Look at verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You know, one of the most powerful stories of Jesus' crucifixion and on his way to to be crucified was a man named Simon of Cyrene who was a bystander on the crowd. And the Roman centurion told him, hey, help help this guy, lead him to the cross. And what an opportunity for this Simon the Cyrene to be able to bear the cross and to help Jesus go the extra mile. Now, from 2,000 years ago to where you are at, how does this look like that we pursue servanthood instead of retaliation. I'll never forget, I went to lunch when I was youth pastoring in Los Angeles, inner city, downtown Echo Park. We, we had um, Peruvian food, uh, Lomo Saltado. My friend and, and I, um, my buddy Mark, we got lunch and on our way back to the church parking lot, we saw um, one of the students stealing a computer from the church. Now, uh, the church in LA where I used to pastor, we rented out different facilities to LA Unified, uh, to different churches, Spanish churches and Korean church and Chinese churches, and so uh, we rented out out of the goodness of our hearts, we rented out to LA Unified for those who were going through continuation school, meaning these guys went on on track to graduate on time. So they were troubled kids. And I saw, literally, you know, this was early 2000s, one of the students, it was an adult, walking down with a large computer monitor, not the sleek LCD or LED monitors, the computer monitors, about 20 inches, carrying a tower, a gateway computer, with all the keyboard and everything walking down. I was like, hey, isn't that our computer? Hey, that's the youth group computer. We let those guys use our computer and that guy's stealing from us. And thank God, Mark, uh, you know, I'm a five foot six Filipino hobbit, maybe five seven. But uh, Mark was about six foot, he had shaved head, bolo head, he was intimidating. I was like, Mark, let's go follow him. And so we just kind of crept up behind him and I called the teacher at the school, "Hey, this is the pastor. What's going on?" I think one of your students stole one of our computers and he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, that, his name is Caesar. It's like, "Oh I'm, let me call the cops." So we called the cops. They, er, stop him on his tracks. He walks like three blocks with the computer. And the police officer says, "Hey, you want to press charges?" And it put me in a situation where I was like, "Yeah. How dare you steal from God's people from the church? I wanna get my vengeance. You're gonna get justice. You're gonna go to juvenile hall. But something else popped into my mind about grace and mercy. And make the long story short, I said to the police officer, you know what? Could I talk to him? I said, hey, Caesar, I'm not gonna press charges if you agree to meet with me for four weeks, every one day a week, just meet with me four weeks. I was able to share the gospel to him. He was able to graduate high school, and I don't know where he's at right now, but it is this sense of serving, of, not, of showing mercy, not giving people what they deserve, but giving them a gift of, of grace and eternity has been changed forever through servanthood of not retaliating, of not seeking vengeance. Number two, would you write down value relationships over possessions? Value relationships over possessions. So if I could just give you just the structure of verses 38 to 42. So 38 and 39, Jesus says, you know, don't resist an evil person. And so the next four uh, sentences or clauses, Jesus gives like a situation and a response. He gives like this rhetorical, if this were to happen, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, what, that's a situation. What should be your response? Turn the other also. Serve that person. If someone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, serve that person. Verse 42, if somebody um, give to the one, to the person who begs from you, give. Or do not refuse to the one who would borrow. So there's two things that Jesus makes an application point. One is to serve, the other is to give. And if we want to usher people into the kingdom of God, if we want to live in the reign of King Jesus, what you and I must do is we must value relationships over possessions. And that feels very counterintuitive to us because we value possessions over relationships. You know, the old saying, right, that we forget what we're supposed to remember and remember what we're supposed to forget. And in this instance, instead of hoarding stuff and keeping stuff to ourselves and keeping it as as it are precious for the sake of the gospel and bringing people to Christ, give what you have. Be generous. Let's look at verse 40. If anyone would sue you, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, your, your tunic is the most basic um, outside of a loincloth in the ancient Near East, Jesus' time. A tunic was the most basic garment that you could wear. And what Jesus is asking here is like, hey, if somebody were to ask for your shirt, give them your jacket as well. That you value relationships over your actual possessions. Parents, value relationships over your possessions. Value your relationship with your spouse or with your kids over your career. Ask yourself, what's the end game of all this? Why do you work so hard? Why do you put in so much hours? Why do you give in overtime? Why do you go above and beyond for your company? If it's just to get more stuff, if it's just to upgrade your kitchen or remodel your kitchen, upgrade your bathroom, or to have a nice sports car or leather seats in your SUV, would you value relationships over possessions? Look at verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And this last illustration, Jesus asked to go one step further that we are to give to those who would ask from us. Now, let me kind of swing the pendulum real quick because I think Jesus, he's using hyperbole. Remember that word, hyperbole, which is a deliberate over-exaggeration, a deliberate overstatement to make a point. So it says, hey, give to everyone who asks for you. Now, in the Bible, um, you know, Paul says, man, if anyone does not work, he does not eat. Okay. Uh, so there is this sense of hey, you got to work. And I think Jesus would say if a person is just lollygagging and not working and just freeloading and not working to eat, then that person doesn't eat. You know, Paul twice in Acts It mentions that he was able to use uh, his wits and you say, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't beat me up. You can't just beat me and throw me in jail. You can't just do that. So he was able to avoid being hurt or being slapped on the other cheek, as it were. So uh, with that balance and with this biblical tension, it still goes back to leading others to Christ. It still goes back to living under the reign of Jesus. How do we do that? How do we not manipulate the law so that we don't exact personal revenge? Well, first is that we serve instead of retaliate. And number two is that we value relationships over possessions. Now this last illustration in verse 42, uh, Jesus gives for his disciples two scenarios where there's two uncomfortable situations that they could be in. One is the, f- the first scenario has to do with those who are not treating you well, those who are ill-treating you. But the second scenario here, it's about those who are begging, Not only are Jesus' disciples to respond with positive treatment, those who are ill treating them, but they are to give to those who would beg and ask to borrow for something. The word asks there in Greek, aiteo, in this context indicates a poor person who has to beg for alms. And the, the word for borrow there, the nizo, it could also refer to a poor person since the same verb is used in Luke chapter 6 verse 34 about a person who was unable to pay back what they have borrowed. I know this is uncomfortable and I know this is a hyperbole that Jesus is talking about, but we need to take Jesus at his word that if there's anybody who begs from you, don't refuse them. Yeah. I broke one of the cardinal rules of financial wisdom Um, when I was a college pastor in LA. One of my youth kids in high school came from a broken home, a single mom, middle of three brothers, and he, he wanted to go to trade school to become a mechanic. but. His mom didn't have credit. He was 17 years old. He didn't have credit. So he asked me to co-sign on a student loan. And he asked for the sake of his future. Now, I know you're supposed to say no. And this, I'm not telling this is for everybody. But I am saying taking Jesus seriously. Deep contemplation and submissive obedience to the Word of God. And so I ended up co-signing his loan, and you know, three years, he was at the top of his class. He became a master tech at Nissan, and in his successful college, he was able to pay off his, his debt. You see first Peter, chapter two gives us a model to look after. Verse 23 When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. What is the result? so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The goal of servanthood for Jesus' disciples is not to think first about our own self and self-preservation, but about the good of other people. We are to give to the person what is needed for his or her good. By the stripes that Jesus bore on his back, you and I are healed. You need to listen to me, church. You are healed because of Jesus from selfishness. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the power of the gospel to heal you from self-preservation, from anger, from vengeance, from being a vengeful person. Oh, you're dead to me. You crossed me once. You're dead to me. You're nothing to me. That it is through Jesus that we're able to live a new life under his reign and his rule. And I want to take this opportunity right now for you to give your life to Christ. The longer you live, the more you walk with the Lord, the more you realize how broken you really are, how selfish you and I really are, how messed up and how fractured I really am, how many issues I really have. But it's because of Jesus, by the stripes that he bore on his back, we might die to sin and we'll live for righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed. So I want to pray for you. If you're bent this morning is to take vengeance, if you're bent this morning is to harbor that anger and to be a bitter person and to keep it inside, and if your bent this morning is to be greedy and to pursue possessions over relationships and to take vengeance unto your own, Jesus has lived, he died, he was resurrected to give you healing and to give you a new life. So I wanna take this opportunity, I wanna pray for you. And if you wanna receive Jesus this morning, this is the most eternal decision that you could make. There's wholeness, there's an abundant life for you. You don't have to be that same rotten person because Jesus is not concerned about your external outward behavior. Jesus wants to reign and rule in your heart. Jesus wants to change you from the inside out. And so if you want to receive Christ, would you repeat after me this morning? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Come into my life right now. I receive you as my Savior. Would you save me from the penalty of sin? Would you save me from the power of sin? But would you also be my Lord? That I would follow you. That I would love you. That I would obey you. In Jesus' name. And I just want to pray for the rest of us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is here now. That through your life, through your death, through your resurrection, we have life everlasting. We have abundant life. We have a life of flourishing. And I pray, Lord, for your people, oh God. If there's any uh, vengeance, oh Lord, would you uh, just perform heart transplant right now? Would you take off that, that heart, Lord, that's easily offended, that heart, Lord God, that's easily angered, that heart, Lord Jesus, that's easily quick to make judgment, that heart, Lord God, that is uh, stingy, that heart that is greedy, Lord, would you remove that and would you put in your heart? Give us a heart of flesh, oh God, that longs to love you, that longs to obey you, that longs, oh Lord God, that your reign and your rule would live Uh, in and through us that the kingdom of god is here now so we thank you for the hope that we have in you in jesus name we pray amen hey before we go just wanted to give you a few updates we are so excited that oahu has officially lifted the ban and now churches can gather however since we meet at a public school uh, we're just going to be on hold uh, until the school says it's okay for us to meet and congregate. So what that means is that we're going to keep doing online church, have church at home with your family, have the cake year round, and uh, make sure that you, you stay connected, and we'll give you updates. Until then, God bless you guys. Love you.